Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're talking about Citizen Kane. Well, I always gagged on that silver spoon. You know, Mr. Bernstein, if I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a really great man. Don't you think you are? I think I did pretty well under the circumstances. This movie was directed by Orson Welles. The cast includes Orson Welles. The genre of this movie is Orson Welles. How did you watch this movie, Benjamin? I watched this movie on Orson Welles Max. Same here. Oh, wait. That's not right. I didn't watch it at the Mercury Theater. I watched it on HBO Max. <laughs> well, yeah, this is a tradition at this point. So I feel remiss if I would feel remiss if I do not say this, but HBO Max, it's one of the worst, one of the worst uh, apps I've ever used. Um, this time I pulled it up on my phone and I said, no, no, I've been burned too many times. This time I will watch it on my computer and cast it to my television instead of casting it from my phone. And I think, this is a brilliant idea. Why haven't I thought of this before? And the reason is because there's no player when you cast it from your laptop. It doesn't show up as like a little thing that you can like scrub through or like hit the, you know, back 15 <laughs> seconds or anything. There's nothing. It's no. just like, oh, it's gone. It, I guess it's playing. You can even navigate away from the, script, the apparent tab that is casting and it won't mess it up because it doesn't matter at all there's nothing there the it only way plays? you can interface yeah the only way you can interface it is with you using their terrible terrible app <laughs> so once again hbo you've burned me again even though you're making all these movies available to me for a relatively reasonable price i will uh, i will complain until you fix it wow i i was i'm surprised that you're finding new ways for hbo to disappoint you with their interface you shouldn't be i i have i have not even scratched the surface of the depth of disappointment that i will <laughs> i will reach well let's scratch the surface on the depths of the events in citizen kane uh with our synopsis that you wrote uh and let's go ahead and get it started charles foster kane is dead the once great media tycoon died alone in his massive Florida estate, Xanadu. His influence over the United States during his life was almost immeasurable. And although he never was successfully elected to public office, he was as close to American royalty as possible. Like any complex character, he was controversial. The U.S. government and his ex-guardian called him a communist, but the labor movement called him a fascist. He owned 37 newspapers at his height, but then it all fell apart. He opened an opera house for his second wife, who then left him. He owned factories, grocery stores, ocean liners, the largest private zoo in the world, and so much more, only to die alone in his private castle. So who really was Charles Foster Kane? Perhaps his last moments will give an insight. Just before death took him, he spoke a single word. Rosebud. A reporter named Mr. Thompson is tasked with answering this question. What is Rosebud? And what did it mean to Charles Foster Kane? Thompson goes on a tour of Kane's life, interviewing those who knew him and digging through old documents that may indicate a clue. 
His first stop is the tomb of Walter Parks Thatcher, a successful banker who was Kane's guardian for almost 15 years. Inside, our reporter, Thompson, learns that Kane's mother essentially sold her son to the bank after gold was discovered under her property. The deal was they would give the land to the bank in exchange for a healthy dividend and the best education possible for young Charles Kane. Kane doesn't want to leave his family behind and wants to keep sledding and playing in the Colorado snow. But his mother is steadfast, and he moves across the country with Mr. Thatcher. When Kane turned 25, he inherited a trust worth at least $60 million, which is about $843,444,000 today. After getting expelled from every Ivy League school he attended, he decides to buy a newspaper because it sounds like fun. Kane buys the New York Inquirer and turns it into his personal outlet for his opinions. Although he publishes a declaration of principles, he also wants everyone to know that it is Charles Foster Kane running the paper and that it is with his endorsement that the news is printed. But there is no mention of Rosebud in Thatcher's journals. Thompson, the reporter, then goes to talk to Mr. Bernstein, one of Mr. Kane's closest friends and business partners. Bernstein tells the next part of the story. As part of his takeover of news in New York City, Kane steals the crack reporting team from a rival paper. He also begins purchasing papers all over the country. Thus, his reign as media tycoon is born. He is able to successfully frame the Spanish-American War the way he wants, as well as countless other events. After a trip to Europe, Kane returns engaged to the president's niece. Over the years, the marriage becomes more and more strained as Kane spends every waking moment obsessed with his business. But Bernstein also doesn't know anything about Rosebud. Bernstein tells Thompson to next talk to Jedediah Leland, another one of Kane's friends who helps start the newspaper business. Thompson finds Leland in a nursing home, and Leland picks up where Bernstein left off. Kane decides to run for governor of New York, but is defeated when an affair with a young aspiring opera singer named Susan Alexander is revealed. His marriage and his political dreams are dashed. Leland and Kane have drifted apart over the years, and after the failed political race, Leland leaves for Chicago. Kane marries Susan, and he builds an opera house for her. Unfortunately, she is apparently talentless, which does not escape the notice of critics. Leland himself is a theater critic and is tasked with writing a review for Mrs. Kane's new show. Leland gets drunk and passes out on his typewriter, having started a scathing review. Kane finds him and finishes the review, just the way it started. He then fires Leland, and the two never speak again. When asked about Rosebud, Leland also doesn't know anything. Thompson then goes to interview Susan Alexander. She tells him the last part of Kane's life. Kane forces Susan to keep singing, even though she hates it and can't take the negative press. The two retire to Xanadu after she tries to kill herself. Xanadu is a huge, empty palace built by Kane. It covers hundreds of acres and is filled with animals, statues, art, gardens, everything. 
but Susan is miserable and leaves him behind. Susan, like all the others, doesn't know anything about Rosebud. Susan directs Thompson to the state's butler, Raymond. Raymond also doesn't know anything about Rosebud, but he shows Thompson and the rest of the reporters all of Kane's stuff. His house is filled with statues, art, toys, and all sorts of junk, but nothing that gives a clue about Rosebud. Thompson concludes that it didn't matter if he had found the answer anyway, that it, one word wouldn't have unlocked Charles Foster Kane any more than anything else. As the reporters leave, the camera pans over Kane's insane collection. Finally, we see men throwing things into a furnace. Inside is a sled with the word Rosebud on it, slowly consumed by flames. The end. There we go. There, there are the events of Citizen Kane. We'll begin our discussion with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Citizen Kane? Um, some of the most careful and meaningful cinematography ever put on film, honestly. Uh, Orson Welles is a very imposing figure and fits the character of Charles Foster Kane extremely well. Um, the makeup looked really good, even though, you know, it's from 1941 and it's still kind of grainy, you know, uh, but it, he looks old as he gets older. The structure is really unique to the story and it adds this kind of layer of abstraction where you have unreliable narrators throughout, uh, but it's still very engaging and it's still relevant story about power and love and the complexity of human life. Um, and I feel like the story gives you a lot to consider and a lot to talk about which is why it's fun to do a podcast about it. Yes, yeah. I mean, this movie has a reputation, and one of it, one of those the aspects of that reputation is that it's like a film lover's film. It's a cinema bro movie. Yeah. And um, I agree that one of the reasons is because there's a lot to talk about. I also agree with what you said about Orson Welles. Like, his involvement in the creation of this movie, including playing the character it's like he's making the movie but he also is the movie which it's like oh yeah it's just another layer of the character of charles foster kane so i thought that was a really cool aspect the cinematography is amazing especially the use of deep focus and long takes and deep yep. focus was not something that i understood or knew about before this movie but it's where you have a really long like big i guess depth of field so that your the things in the foreground are in focus as well as things that are in the background. And this movie is very intentional with its use of deep focus multiple times throughout the movie. And in general, the cinematography is just very careful and intentional and just ends up looking really great throughout the movie. The lighting was very artsy, especially with the use of shadows. I liked how a lot of characters had their faces obscured in a way that just seemed natural like it wasn't like they darkened that part of the screen on purpose it was like they just happened to always be in the shadows and always obscured that, that yeah. was awesome the camera angles are very dynamic the makeup was amazing like you said the audio was surprisingly clear uh and the transitions were masterful especially that first series of images where you're kind of getting closer and closer to xanadu it was like dreamlike the way that each kind of still image melted into the next one with the fade yeah. and uh the story itself is very engaging. I wanted to know more about this man, Charles Kane. And then uh, additionally, there's the film draws a lot of inspiration from real life events and people, which I think makes it, you know, it's always kind of cool to find out what that is. And then um, for the most part, I think it lives up to the hype. I'd never seen Citizen Kane. I'd, I don't know if I would call it the best movie ever, but 
I do think that it's a great film and still deserves to be watched even, you know, 80 years later. So those are the pros. Let's move on to our cons. What did you not like about Citizen Kane? It's kind of an old, boring movie. (laughs) Still, you know, despite all of those things. Um, I had a hard time following all of the dialogue and all the reasons why things are happening. For example, when um, Charles Kane is being sold to the bank (laughs) by his mom, (laughs) I was so I had to watch that three or four times to really understand what was happening. And even then, I was still like, okay, they just didn't tell me. I I thought I missed it, but it turns out that it just wasn't very clear. Um, And I also think that it tries to do so much, and I think that makes it hard for people to kind of focus, like to to comprehend exactly everything, right? Because there's so many different things it's trying to do at the same time, um, which makes it kind of dilute some of its more uh, poignant messages, I think. Um, So yeah, uh, that's what I had to say. What about you? Well, just to, to go off of that, yeah, I think there's a certain part of this film that is obscured by history where it's assumed that you know what's going on exactly in the world in 1935 and you might sure. not and um and i certainly did that i feel like there's a lot of this movie like there's a lot in this movie that maybe i couldn't appreciate to the fullest because i was born 50 years too late so <laughs> th- like that is definitely a, a portion of it um but i i agree like i mean it is definitely a long movie and it feels long especially the sequence with the opera I don't, I've never been an appreciator of opera. Not to say that I'm an opera hater, but it's oh, not. Oh, you an opera hater? <laughs> yeah, please. That's opera what I heard. Stands, opera stands are I'm gonna right. Put, I'm going to put it on Twitter that Benjamin hates opera. Listen, All I know opera stands opera. are just one tier below BTS stands. So I That's wouldn't right. want to enrage the fan base. But it's never been something that I've been all that interested in. And um, that's not even that relevant to what I'm trying to say right now is that the se- the sequence of all the opera singing just felt like it could have been short and we got it. She's not good at singing. And you don't have to keep showing that or making us listen to that. Uh, but for the most part, I-, I felt like it was hard to criticize this film just because of the grandeur and how uh, like spectacular it is, especially for its time. Um, which, again, is something that's difficult to appreciate when you're not even in the same century as this movie anymore. No. Um, and yeah, not even close. Like, it's hard for me to say, oh, this one really stands above its competition when I haven't seen that many movies from the 40s uh, it's or the late 30s as well. closer to being 100 years old than it is, like, when we came out. Like, yes, it's like, closer yeah. to the birth of cinema than it is to... <laughs> today you know so it's a very old film not to say that films were completely archaic back then i mean this came out after the wizard of oz right i think wizard of oz is 1939 wizard of oz 1939 you're you're exactly right okay good and so in wizard of oz was literally it had color it was a like a a decently complex plot (laughs) so (laughs) uh it's not to say that like citizen kane was completely blowing like the other cinema of the time out of the water but still it's impressive to see a movie of this caliber that is so very old right and i think a lot of like cinema scholars say that um citizen kane advanced the art of filmmaking like it accelerated it essentially because of he, all the interesting techniques like low angles and deep focus and stuff none of that was new but nobody had combined it in the way or used it so meaningfully uh, the way that orson wells had Every, it was always kind of a gimmick before and now it was actually being used to its full effect um which sort of uh 
basically kind of showed a lot of people what was possible. Um, and I think that um, it, it, the influence it had over cinema is uh, basically immeasurable at this point. Sure. And we'll do our best to try to measure it here <laughs> as we move on beyond our pros and cons into our overall section. So let's get the kind of elephant out of the way. Um, we've kind of hinted at it already, but this is considered by many to be the greatest movie ever made. And I don't really know about that. Uh, I, it's certainly one of the most watched, one of the most studied, one of the most reviewed movies ever made. So, you know, what's the harm in one more? <laughs> yes. And... and- <laughs> What, just to go the opposite direction, say what's the benefit in one more? I feel like it adds a lot of credibility to say that we've done our little exercise on the greatest movie of all time, right? We're we're going. Well, it depends through, on how well we execute, doesn't it? Definitely, but to <laughs> to to even say that we've seen it, right? Because how can you compare other movies, or how can you thoroughly? Uh, I, I think you actually can, uh, com- like review other movies without having seen the quote unquote greatest movie of all time, but. It feels good to finally see this one and and talk about it uh, because we have seen so many other great movies, right? Yeah, and I mean, this is obviously a historical piece of cinema. It's solidified itself as important and culturally significant, and I'm not going to argue that it's not any of those things. I think the thing that I like best about Citizen Kane is that it gives you a lot to chew on. Um, every line of dialogue, every shot is full of aesthetic and thought-provoking content. It's really trying to do a lot. And I think in some points, maybe too much, but it also gets across the wideness of a man's life. Charles Foster Kane was a lot of things to a lot of people and hearing it from his friends and family, I felt like I got a good sense of who he was and how he changed. And yet I still feel like I don't quite know why he did what he did. And I don't really know exactly what Rosebud means either. Um, And I think that's what makes it interesting. I think we've talked a little bit kind of about subtlety and vagary on this podcast before. I think this is an example of how it works really well. Because I think think that when you come away from this movie, um, I felt like I had an idea of what what it was trying to say. It wasn't like I was left with nothing, right? It wasn't quite as like solid or as like pointed as maybe you might expect, but it was it certainly felt like it was making a point and it seemed obvious to me what that point was. And I think it's what's interesting is I think because it isn't so pointed, other people can come away with a different idea but also feel just as confident as I did. And I think that makes it I think that makes it interesting. I agree. I think throughout the movie you get to see the different sides of Charles Kane and that you come away from those experiences with pieces uh, like conclusions that you can draw in like the short term and then at the end of the movie you can have an opportunity to put those things together uh, and then maybe that forms a picture of something that you can uh, you know right which is sort of like how cinema works at all right sure it's not really a moving picture, right? It's a series of pictures shown to you really quickly. And together and with editing, it tells a narrative, it tells a story, right? And your brain puts that together and says, this is a moving picture. I'm watching something happen to me on screen. And the juxtaposition between different shots, you know, which is uh, the, I think it's called montage, I think is the official, like uh, the ancient term. Um, That is how, like, that's supposed to, convey meaning in a way that's different than a lot of other mediums and so the idea that like this movie kind of gives you all the pieces and it says okay well now you have to put it together and figure it out 
is sort of how cinema works in general. Sure. Or you could even say it's a little bit like a jigsaw, a jigsaw puzzle because you're getting all these different, maybe oddly shaped pieces, right? Maybe this part of the movie is like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that. And then you can use that in conjunction with other things. And that leads me to this quote from uh, basically the end of Citizen Kane. Charles Foster Kane or Rosebud? How about it, Jerry? <laughs> What's Rosebud? That's what he said when he died. Did you ever find out what it means? No, I didn't. What did you find out about him, Jerry? Not much, really. We better get started. What have you been doing all this time? Playing with a jigsaw puzzle? If you could have found out what that rosebud meant, I bet that would have explained everything. No, I don't think so. No. Mr. Kane was a man who got everything he wanted and then lost it. Maybe Rosebud was something he couldn't get or something he lost. Anyway, it wouldn't have explained anything. I don't think any word can explain a man's life. No, I guess Rosebud is just a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. A missing piece. So I'm glad to hear that your conclusion is that there's not one right answer to what Rosebud means, because I also came away feeling... Like, not that I didn't have anything to go off of, but I also didn't, I definitely didn't feel like they led me to a secure conclusion. And I always have a little bit of anxiety coming into (laughs) these conversations with you that I'm like, well, you know, maybe they weren't saying this. And you're like, no, they were hitting you in the face with this idea (laughs) constantly and you totally missed it. So uh, not to say that you come at me like hostile like that, (laughs) but it, uh, it, it does feel bad when you miss something like that. So here's what Rosebud means to me. You know, this is my crack at it is that, a person is not so easily defined. Kane was a complex man. We spent the entire movie sifting through the idea, the events of his life, and it's difficult to put him in a box. Was he a communist? Was he a fascist? Was he a force for good? Was he a force for evil? Was he kind? Was he self-centered? Maybe he was all of these things and none of these things. The idea that his dying words, or in this case, dying word, could be used as some sort of a thematic summary of his existence would be ludicrous. Cain was a human and humans are complex. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very interesting um approach to it, right? It sort of it sort of takes this thing and twists it and says that it's actually opposite, right? It's and I and this is true, right? Obviously, everyone knows that your last words don't really mean anything. They you know, they're just the last things that of a dying person's brain, right? Like your your body is literally failing you. Like whatever you're gonna say <laughs> means nothing. So like that's um uh, the whole kind of idea is is sort of romantic and uh, you know ludicrous in general. And I think that the movie does so much to um, humanize and like complicate Charles Foster Kane that to come away with like oh it's a solid conclusion is um kind of undercuts the whole idea of the movie um and uh, it, it could be like you know a um uh, what's the word like a uh um subversion of freudian psychology right that oh the thing that happened to you when you were a kid like that that is what really matters right because your mother didn't love you that's why you're obsessed with rabbits or i, I don't know that's something random you because you, your uh, mother didn't love you that's why you became a power hungry like right, tycoon right. it makes perfect sense to me yeah. but like maybe that whole idea and you know real psychologists 
think Freud is a hack. So maybe that whole idea of like, oh, this thing that used to happen to you or this thing that happened to you a long time ago defines you now um, is really a silly idea and should be um, discarded uh, like a sled in a fire. Wow. Okay. I hey. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, this leads us kind of this I- to this idea, um, or, or rather this concept that I think is really interesting about the movie Citizen Kane. And that's the question, who is Citizen Kane, right? Yes. Um, and first of all, he's an American, which we love to see Americans represented in cinema. It's true. So <laughs> I'm glad that he was an American and he always has been. And I think he that's embodies right. that in a lot of ways. I always think that the adjective American is very interesting because it's so hard to kind of define what that means. And there's so many different things that are like uniquely American, right? Or people say, oh, that's a very American thing. American psycho uh, kind of comes to mind, right? It's like, oh, he's a psycho, but he's American. So why yeah. does that make him different? Um, is like that whole idea, I think, is uh, very interesting. And I don't really know what that means exactly. I mean, it certainly means that like Americans are aspirational, maybe. Or, or maybe it's uh, something to do with, um, like, the cynicism of reality, <laughs> where <laughs> Charles Foster Kane is, like, manipulating public thought for his own benefit, right? Uh, maybe that's something like a uh, disrespect of any sort of institution. Uh, maybe that's a uniquely American thing. I don't know. Hey, well, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of things you could ascribe to Americans, and um, and I think one of them is almost like this idea of self-determination or maybe even just... Right. Well, there's there's a lot of different things that are... Self-made, right? Well, right, exactly. Self-made in quotes because uh, it's both true and untrue, kind of, right? Because first of all, Cain inherits his riches. You, 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 can, you can use him as an example of a rags-to-riches story because it's like, take a look at young Charles Foster Cain playing in the snow... <laughs> Poor, living away from wow, the cities. so poor. But with a little bit of ingenuity and a, a like bootstrap uh, lifting. And a whole Charles lot of gold. Kane, exactly. And a little bit of luck in the form of discovering like, in a, like the third largest gold mine underneath his house. <laughs> Charles Kane, too, can live the American dream and become an enterprising media mogul. Um, and I think that is very American to have this idea that it's like he's upheld as like a successful person who's self-made and also just in general like successful because of things that were not in his control at all. He right. was, you know, he won the lottery essentially and um, now is super powerful and has all this wealth and that is american i think that kind of that story is told many times throughout our history and so and even though he doesn't focus on making money he's still viewed as enterprising we didn't even hear him talk about grocery stores and he ended up having grocery stores right right it's almost he was, like he had like this empire of of you know goods and services it just seemed like but that was all like an afterthought, right? It wasn't really about his business. The movie's not really about his business or how he built it or anything, right? It's really about him. Yeah, I mean, his his um, what mattered to him was his influence and his um, his media empire. That was like a huge part of who he was, and his he he was his media empire existed in spite of how un um, like enterprising he was. His yes. newspapers were losing money. 
right? But it didn't matter. I'll lose a million next year. Right. And he's like, I'll still be in business for 60 years. Yeah, at this rate, I'll have to shut the thing down in 60 years, which was such a badass thing to say. But it's also just evidence that he basically couldn't fail, right? Right. Uh, So, you know, so that was like an interesting part of it as like to who Kane was because he's like rags to riches but by no virtue of his his own um and he almost as like a curse to himself he talks about how he probably would have been a, a better person if he wasn't so wealthy right yeah but that's yeah that makes me roll my eyes you know that's the thing is like like Charles Foster Kane is clearly a flawed person yeah and I think the thing that defines him more than anything else is that he never really understood himself you know and like he never really, really, he never really know knew what he wanted. You know, he thought that he could fill like this hole in his heart or something with stuff and that, or love or, or like public admiration, and it never happened. So like, it's it's funny that he's like, oh, you know, if I only I didn't have only if this one thing was different about me, then I would have been happy or I would have been a great man. It's like, yeah, you don't know. Like, you really don't get it. Like, and he doesn't. I feel like he's at this place of privilege that he never really grasps you know he's trying to be a, a, a voice for the working man but he said he only says that he he's always after himself he's always trying to make himself look better yeah definitely i mean he starts off when he gets to the inquirer he is a champion of the people vowing to fight for the poor and the downtrodden yeah both through his newspaper and then later through his race for governor and he does that right he he does bust some trusts and he shames landlords that are running slums and and he does and uh what's his name the 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 wall street old man who raised him thatcher thank you he even is like you've got to stop this you're like you're you're destroying yourself and me stop it but he and he's like no i don't care because this is what i i care about but then it's later revealed that he's just doing that because he wants to help these poor people in exchange for their love and when he loses the mayoral race through you know his own fault really (laughs) he takes that as a rejection from the people that he supposedly uh claims to want to help so once that he gets that firm rejection from them he doesn't care about them anymore he they're not going to love him why should he help them right and so i mean it, it shows that the real uh, source of those principles, quote unquote, is that he saw it as a way to earn adoration. And, um, and you know, that's like, you know, he has this idea of the, uh, uh, the progressive cause or the um, he, he says it after he loses the race and he's talking to Leland, he says that he's like, oh, I've set back the like, uh, he doesn't Labor use the word. movement. Yeah, basically. And he's like, and, and he's like, well, is that what you're mad about, right? And he's using it more as like, it's like, that's the rules. Like, we have to be doing this as opposed to it being something he truly believes in, right? Um, and I think that that's true even in his wet, his marriages as well, where he's he's in the relationship supposedly for love, but it's really for them to love him and him to be able to force things onto them. Like, his first wife is basically just a, like, so he can... I don't know closer to the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah i mean it's like it's it almost seems like he wants the traditional part of the like i am married but like nothing else he doesn't seem really that interested in who his wife is as a person yes i do like that i do like it when they're having that like that years-long argument and she's always like 
like busting his chops about being in the newspaper and then she's reading the rival newspaper at the table yes uh that's amazing (laughs) that was a great sequence and it showed that not only did she disapprove of the his activities as such a committed newsman but also the things he was printing in the newspaper she didn't approve of right and then um later when like in his second marriage he's uh at that point he has completely left his old principles behind. Instead of fighting for the little man in his newspaper, he's creating this facade that his wife, who's actually terrible at singing, is getting all this positive press for the shows that she's doing across the country. Like This is such a ridiculous like abuse of his editorial powers for nobody's gain at all. He thinks it's for his own game, but really it isn't even that because it's it's part of what pushes his second wife, Susan Alexander, towards divorcing him. So it's, I don't know, it's like you see his life starting to crumble here and then like his second divorce ends up being a massive blow uh, to his ego. And, you know, this is also like the res- as a result of the Great Depression, he loses a lot of his influence and a lot of his power. And uh, by the end, he's lost it all, and he dies in his uh, in his his pleasure palace. So, um, you know, who is Citizen Kane? Well, he was a man in search of power with a need for adoration. He got both, and he lost both. And love him or hate him, he will be remembered. But whether or not he was spitting straight facts is still up for debate. <laughs> like him or hate him, he was definitely sometimes not spitting straight facts at all. He was lying in his newspapers. Um, but that's the thing is it's like I think that is what makes Kane or there's a lot of things that make Kane worth talking about. But I think this idea of like his him building all of these monuments to his existence um, are at yes. least an interesting place to start. Right. But he never had kids. Yeah, that is. What do you, Isn't that what do you, weird? Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I don't know the the traditional like I guess thought. I well, the way that I see it is like you kind of have two choices. You can either like toward legacy. You can either build something now that has a potential to last a long time, or you can start a family. Um, either of those things will, you know, propel your you into the future um, after you die, but. Uh, it's kind of up in the air whether or not those will work out, right? Um, it, either, either both of those are risky ventures. One of them uh, is much more common, but not necessarily easier, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know. It's interesting that he never like went that route and it was never even discussed, right? But sure. it, like, it, it certainly, um, it certainly could have been, right? You could definitely see a, element of this movie where he has a son who's just like him who rejects his father and his wealth and doesn't want any of the trappings that um that uh, uh that kane had um and says try to, to start out on his own um and you know resents his father and won't come to him when he's uh when he's in need um you know, that's that's certainly a I feel like that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for something like this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that would add an, an additional layer to this film is like, what do his children think? And then you have a conversation with Charles Kane Jr. or J- Charles Foster Kane Jr. And then right. also Eric Kane is there too, <laughs> tied to him. And, and they, uh, you know, yeah. you never know. That I think that would add a, at least an extra 30 minutes to, to an hour to this film. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Um, but I want to piggyback off of what you just said because I also have opinions about Charles Foster Kane. Um, and kind of just going after what, repeating what you just said, like he loved power and he was constantly seeking it. Um, but the reason he wanted power was to protect himself from ever being abandoned. He wanted to surround himself with admirers and loyalists because he didn't know how else to love someone. Because um, it's so interesting when um, Susan leaves him, right? Like he is, the same thing happens when she tries to kill herself. It's sort of like the only time he ever listens to her, right? Is when she can actually hurt him. Um, and like, that's awful, obviously. But he's actually upset that she's gone, right? It, it wasn't just that she was like his uh you know whatever trophy wife or something he actually seemed to care about her and actually seemed to want to like try to give her what she wanted but didn't understand that like she didn't she was unhappy she didn't he didn't understand why she was unhappy right it's like i can do anything we had 50 of her friends here yesterday we can have a we can go have a picnic and sleep in a tent to, like or something you know we can do whatever you want i can buy you anything you want and she's like no that's not it's not what it is. Like it's something, it's something else here. He didn't know. I don't think he knew how to express that like feeling, you know, because he actually does seem upset that she's gone and it's, and maybe it's because, um, she's doing it to him and it's going to hurt him. And that's certainly the way he frames it. But I, I, maybe we can't trust that either. You know, maybe he, what he really means is like, I, I really need you. I really want you to be here. And, um, for you to, take that away from me means i have almost nothing left it's I don't know. a it's a difficult situation and, and um it just seems like kane I, like it does make you kind of feel sorry for him because yes. it, it almost seems like despite his best efforts he can't change kane only can like love in one direction which is receiving love and yes he can do things that he wants like he, he can do things that he uh, believes are things that his uh, spouses that want, want. <laughs> but only within the parameters of what he wants, right? And I mean, I think that's why it destroys him so much because he thinks that she's doing this to him when really he's doing it to himself. That's why she's so taken aback that he would say, you can't do this to me. Because she's like, me? Right. Do this to you? You have been doing everything to me and this is still you doing this to you because I've given you every chance. I've tried to do everything. I've told you what I wanted. I want to go to New York, but you wouldn't let me. And right. you know, I, all, like I've aired my grievances and you just can't hear them. And even though you do, like it seems like he genuinely wants to love Susan Alexander, he's incapable of it. And, um, and, and yeah, that makes you feel sorry for him, but it also doesn't, uh, mean that what Susan did is wrong in any way. No, definitely not. I, yeah. I know. I, I agree that he, he, I, that's how I felt throughout. It's like, he just doesn't know how to express this yeah. at all. Right. Yeah. He, and maybe he's just incapable, capable of it. And uh, who knows, you know, uh, who knows why that is. Maybe that's the result of being lo uh, raised by a bank. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think that does nothing to you. Um, th throughout the movie. He, so he's constantly seeking the approval of masses, but he's also trying to build the myth of Charles Foster Kane. And he's doing that the most to the people that are closest to him. He wants to prove he is more than a man, but some sort of he's some sort of principled demigod who will do anything and can achieve anything and will always stick to his priorities. 
But the truth is that he's still just a man and he did insane things. <laughs> it, he was just <laughs> unable to admit that he had any weaknesses or that he was ever wrong. I'm thinking specifically about Leland here, right? Leland, like what, what Leland I think wanted when, when Kane, um, when they had their kind of falling out was a friend. And he was like, why are you, why do you keep pretending to be this like thing when like when you're just a person you know why do you keep acting like you're better than everybody else uh when that's clearly not true uh, like he was he used to be like a like a normal guy who was kind of energetic and stuff but then he sort of turned into like this um monolith of a man that was like oh i am you know i'm going to write a bad review about my own wife's play like to prove to you that i am more than just a normal person you know it's like why or like do it <laughs> i feel like that's a that's a red flag right it's like why would you do that like do you have no compromise you have no ability to recognize that this is a, a nuanced situation or something that you may uh may have a fallout that you don't want to deal with you know like this is the kind of thing where but i think the difference is that charles is acting like he is um this you know principal demigod but he's obviously not and he's just being a person and doing what he wants to do just like everybody else does but he's pretending or like lying to himself and everyone else that he's actually doing it for the stated reasons yeah and you i know? think that leland is really useful in perceiving like just exactly how uh Kane has changed, right? Because Leland was there from the beginning. He knew him in his youth. He knew him when he was getting expelled from all of the great universities, which is kind of brings up the question, which school did Leland go to with him? That- <laughs> yeah, because it was one of, you know, assuming Leland actually followed through. Right. Like, it's one of, of like, you know, could be any of them. Right. Well, and Leland also didn't have any money. So right. how did he go to these Ivy League schools? Um, anyways, but he was there from the beginning, right? So he got to see Kane when he took over the Inquirer. He got to see Kane when he came up with this declaration of principles that was so, you know, monumental and so inspirational that Leland wanted to keep a copy of it, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think Leland is supposed to help us remember the young Kane so we can more easily compare him to who Kane becomes in his old age. The young- well, I think, I think it's Bernstein, actually, that kind of gives you the, the most stark difference um that to anybody else right uh, leland and oh, basically everybody else is like Kane is sort of a bastard he's sort of a, you know he's sort of an arrogant prick and bernstein like r- revered him right right and when you see you see that interaction that when uh, leland takes that um declaration of principles and says this is gonna be important one day that's from bernstein's perspective right and when you hear it from leland he is like no it's like we used to be friends, but like, this is how he really was. I learned how he was, you know, eventually. And I think that, um, I don't know. I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, the, the narrators certainly play a huge role Definitely. in how you perceive this man, which I think is a very interesting commentary on immortality in general. But <laughs> I think that, um, it, I think Bernstein kind of flavor, like sends you almost in a different direction than almost anybody else. Not that he's wrong, but like he saw him, he saw something in Kane that everyone else like either overlooked or saw through. Well, I, I think you can take it two ways, right? Because Leland was always fearful of the future for Kane. During that party, he's talking to Bernstein and 
Bernstein is like, yes, this is totally deserved. Kane is epic. We need to like have right. a party where they sing a song that was written literally just about him, and then <laughs> not even reappropriated like some song about. No, oh, they, he's they, a jolly good the fellow. Resol- kind the of. resolving rhyme is Kane. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, Leland is thinking this is he's going to change. I'm worried that Kane won't stay Kane, and that's one of the things that he says during his interview. Is he's like my curse is my memory. I remember who Kane was. I remember who Kane promised to be. And yeah. I got to see who he w- actually became, or you could even be more cynical and say, I found out who he really was. Right? right. And him sending that principles document back to Kane, I think drives that home where he's like, Hey, remember who you used to be? Remember who you were? That was were? a powerful moment. Yes. Right? To get that, he has the check. It's clearly like all torn up and he has the, like just to, to completely reject him. Right. To say you you have fallen from where you were. I used to believe in you, and now, like, you can have this back because it means nothing anymore. Right. Um, and, and, yeah, and, that's it, so good. It is. It was great. And Leland obviously is a Kane hater now, right? He, I, like, yeah. And, and that's that's fine. And Bernstein is still a Kane stan, and I think that kind <laughs> of goes into this idea of the complexity of. Charles Foster Kane, because these two people who are so close to him, almost equally close, have such varied opinions on him because he isn't just good and he isn't just bad. And I love that idea of ambiguity in this film. But specifically, Leland, I'm glad you brought him up because these two characters, I think, are really important to see the different sides of him, especially with how much the unreliable narrator influences those flashbacks. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you don't hear any of the negative stuff or how Kane starts to fall from Bernstein, right? It's all about the rise. And then Leland is more focused on the other side of it, of like of like how everything kind of fell apart, um, even though both of those men were there the entire time. So, so another character that I think is, is pretty important is Susan Alexander Kane, or just Susan Alexander when he first meets her. But she... I love her storyline. I do too. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yes. I think it's so interesting. And... You know, like I, I watched this movie and then I fell asleep in the middle of it and then I came back and watched it again. And I was like, I was thinking about like the female characters in this movie, right? The mm-hmm. first half, you kind, you get barely anything. You get his mother who certainly has a certain like bite to her, right? But she's pretty one dimensional. Um, you have his wife, the first wife, Emily, right? Um, the, the president's niece. She is very she's kind of a she's more of a character but kind of more in the background she's it's more like something in the like that's kind of a, a fact about his life more than anything where susan alexander actually plays a huge role especially like the second half of the movie and to see her be treated with respect in a movie from 1941 <laughs> is again another indictment of the film industry <laughs> Sure, but no, and but also, you know, obviously a positive aspect of this movie because Susan Kane or, or Susan Alexander and Kane uh, have a, a a meat cute right, and where he's right. all covered in mud and she's got a toothache, and then she ends up being this huge factor in a very important turning point in Kane's life. Her involvement with Kane ends up tanking his political career and ending his first marriage in one fell swoop. And I want to yep. be clear. I don't blame her. Like, I don't put all the blame on her, right? Because at the end of the day, it was Kane's own fault for being unfaithful to his marriage and choosing to stay in the race after Gettys gave him an out. Which was very Hamilton of him, wasn't it? 
Yes, it was. It was That's exactly Hamilton what I was thinking. It was like where Hamilton writes that letter, like re- revealing that he had been cheating on his wife um, as, again, to like build up his own reputation to be like, oh, I'm a man of principle. I would never steal from the government. No, what I would do <laughs> is cheat my wife. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, and, this is huge because he was on his way to, uh, you know, obviously, like they said, everyone's like the the White House is next, guaranteed. Like he was about to win the governor, yep. and he was going to be a a very progressive uh, leader. And all, all these things that he was professing sounded great, and it could potentially, maybe he would have actually gone through with all of his principles given the opportunity right that there's a different citizen kane movie that's a lot more one-dimensional where he just becomes the greatest politician ever and just is you know do making real progress but that's not well maybe i don't know because it seems like he takes this so personally right he takes it so hard and i think i think you're right to identify this as the turning point in his life where he was on the rise and then this kind of sends him into a spiral um i think that it's possible the same thing could have happened to him later down the road when he had more power, right? Something else gets in his way where he says, I want to do this and it can't happen for who knows why, right? And yeah. that um, that sends him off into a terrible situation where he, he still has all of this power and he, now he's like cynical toward the world um, and, and thinks that he, you know, this is uh, it's not just earned, but he's entitled to it. Sure. And with that extra power could bring even more devastating consequences from that downfall. So I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, potentially an even more interesting movie, President Kane, where instead of influencing and justifying wars, he makes the wars. That Uh, would be interesting. Like an alternative (laughs) reality where he still, yeah, yeah, he makes the war. That's funny. He he goes up to, uh, yeah, he makes it all the way to the presidency and then fails there instead. Right. He fails there and then that ends the world. Apocalypse Kane. (laughs) (laughs) But but that doesn't happen. Instead, uh, you know, uh, his political career effectively ends, his first marriage ends, and what happens next is just top-tier Kane-ism, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Because the newspaper headline that exposed his infidelity had quotes around the word singer, which was used to describe Susan Alexander. And Kane gets so fixated on this punctuation (laughs) that he sinks... Well, first off, he marries Susan, and then he dumps millions of dollars into fabricating an opera career for her just so he can prove that the quotes around the word singer were unjustified. Incredible. It's, that is so petty. And honestly, like you said before, insane to, to do. <laughs> and it's like, because he has the money, he can do that. But it's, it's absolutely, he's out of his mind to think that that was worthwhile. And... Uh, and even though he's able to use his newspaper to push this narrative that she's great, he's not able to convince the crowds to actually see her perform each night. And he's not even able to convince her that she's a great singer. Yeah. And he pushes this idea so hard that she tries to Minecraft herself just so she can <laughs> stop performing for audiences Is that, that, that don't that want to hear her. Okay. 
Okay, I just want to... I'm breaking the fourth wall again just to say I really appreciate you bringing 2022 vernacular into this review from a movie from 1941. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, in Don't Look Up, they used Twitch terminology That's to, right. to uh, talk about things in a video game. I'll yeah. use that here. Um, okay, okay, well, one thing, I want to I wanna play this quote that's uh, like right around this time. Right after she uh, attempts to kill herself, she says this. Charlie... I couldn't make you see how I felt, Charlie. But I couldn't go through with the singing again. You don't know what it means to know that people are... that a whole audience just doesn't want you. That's when you've got to fight him. I think this moment really solidifies Susan as... Kane's foil in another way, right? He is when he's obsessed with the limelight. He wants to be um, all his opinions have to be out there. He wants everyone to know what he thinks and wants to know who he is. And Susan doesn't want really any of that. And when she gets all this negative press and she, they're constantly talking about how bad she is, that's something that he's kind of grown up with or, or like been used to. Um, and she doesn't like she never even wanted that, right? She never even wanted this life that he's like giving her. So. Um, it, it's like, oh, you have to, like, he says, you have to fight him. That's when you like, it's, there's no option. There's no other option. You got to go out there and you got to make them like you just the way that I did. Right. Uh, not even recognizing that he's failing at that. And, but Susan's like, like, why am I even in this situation? Like, I never even <laughs> wanted to be this person that you want me to be, you know? And like, it's, it's incomprehensible to Kane that someone would want to feel that way. Right. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just I just really like that. I think that's really a really pointed, poignant moment from Susan Alexander. I think it does a lot to solidify her as Kane's equal. Totally, I I really agree. And and then you know progressing through the rest of her um, plot, we've already talked about like the divorce, but before like right before the divorce, the scene at the picnic where Kane slaps Susan. I I, I thought this like obviously this is an important moment. Uh, like the band is playing the song and there's just this recurring lyric where they keep saying, this can't be love. Yeah. And the two of them are arguing back and forth. And right when Kane slaps her, the music stops inexplicably, right? Cause it's happening outside. It's not in the tent with them. Nobody knows that she just got slapped. And then instead of the music, you just hear a woman screaming in the background and the timing is perfect. It really yeah. shifts the tone and makes this a, sh- a, a truly shocking moment, which is appropriate because we just saw this guy strike his wife. Yes. And um, I don't know. I thought that was really well done. Uh, and that's more of just like a praising the, the film for designing the scene. Um, and overall, just Susan Alexander was a great character uh, throughout this movie. Um, so th- I want to kind of like a summary a little bit here about all the different narrators. I'll let you give me your thoughts on what, what I've uh, summarized here. So for Thatcher, um, he, uh, Kane was an energetic, spiteful young man who sought to ruin himself just to get even with his ex-guardian. Um, and then for Bar- Bernstein, Kane was a principled uh, noble and uh, he was above everyone else. He was, this, he was the thing that he pretended to be. For Leland, Kane was a thin-skinned giant who was self-obsessed and for susan alexander he was a controlling monster who kept her locked in a gilded cage and even though all of these kind of stories overlap a little bit 
they aren't really the same description. And despite it, Kane is still sympathetic. I still feel bad for him because he never really understood himself or what he really wanted. I thought he could have, he thought he could have everything um, and that would be enough, but it clearly wasn't. No, I think you've really summarized it well here with the different um, impacts he had on these characters. And and that's, I mean, these characters help to make up what is such a convincing story is that they each get a chance to tell their part. Um, and then it's up to us to sum that and say, here's what I think, uh, yes. which is why it's so fun to talk about. And, right, uh, which yeah. is different than some sort of omniscient like presence, right? Where like you just watch Kane throughout his life and then you're like, this is exactly what happened. Yeah. Framing it behind a narrator or several narrators gives you, the audience, um, like cues you to do exactly what you just said, to fill in the pieces yourself and to come to your own conclusion. And it's also just kind of an exercise in storytelling because this movie right. starts with a newsreel, which is supposed to be just stating fact. Here's exactly how many newspapers he owned. Here's exactly when he died. Here's the years where he said this and the years that he said this. And then we ask ourselves, those men in a room who are smoking and also their faces are all obscured by shadow, which is super cool. They're all like, yeah, but is that how you really tell the story of a man's life? How else should we tell the story of a man's life? What if we could like just because we said what he did doesn't mean we're telling who he was and then that kicks off this whole journey of storytelling so i think that that's really cool it's it's almost like a uh this the movie itself is almost a commentary on its own medium uh when you like compare the different ways that they tell the story of kane one of the other things i hear like that uh, that people like about this movie is that they spoil the ending uh right away right he dies at the end right um, and the newsreel tells the whole story, the, whole, the same the same story that you hear throughout the movie. The only difference is you get more context and you hear it from different people's perspectives um, and you get a little bit more detail about what exactly happened. So when you, you as the audience member, kind of have an idea of who Charles Foster Kane is going into it and then have that idea subverted throughout the movie, even though he was a completely fictional person made up for this movie. And it's cool. It's very cool. No, it's it's, I mean... I going. In, I went to this movie not knowing anything. I had ideas that Kane was a politician uh, because I saw images of it's like Kane for governor. Right. And I also knew that there was going to be at some point he was going to be like clapping uh, for some yes. reason because I've seen that reaction gif, uh, and, and that was I knew that was from Citizen Kane. But other than that, I had no idea. And to start off with, like, here's all this amazing stuff about Kane. I'm like, whoa, slow down. This is a lot at once. And it is cool to go back and watch that newsreel again after having seen the whole movie because it's so much easier to understand and you have so much more context for all these different things yeah. that are just, you know, rolling by. So, yeah, it's, a re- it's really cool. Uh, and honestly, that, that's a reason why I feel like this movie holds up because it's like that concept, the way that they're telling the story that will live on far beyond like, you know, when we're in the future and looking at this movie, you're like, Oh, it looks like crap because it's not in five dimensions or something. That's right. So, (laughs) but, um, and I mean, talking about the future of this movie, uh, there were a few scenes in this movie, a few things from this film that I was like, Oh, Kane's influence echoes throughout modern day society. (laughs) Exactly. Like, is this the modern citizen Kane? And I'll start with this quote where, uh, it's 1935 and Kane is in an interview. Anything else? When I was a reporter, we asked him quicker than that. Come on, young fella. Well, what do you think of the chances for war in Europe? 
Uh, I've talked with the responsible leaders, the great powers, England, France, Germany, and Italy. They're too intelligent to embark on a project which would mean the end of civilization as we now know it. You can take my word for it. There'll be no war. This is hilarious timing to watch this movie right after a certain, you know, Citizen Kane-esque individual, (laughs) someone who has their own media empire, kind of, big media influence. Um, He is a big guy. Yeah, Hasanabi from Twitch just really got it wrong uh, when talking about the invasion of Ukraine. He was like, oh, it's not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen. It's laughable that you would even say that it would happen. I think he said, I've talked to the responsible parties, the great he, leaders of Russia that. and Ukraine, <laughs> and they would never do this. And Pretty he sure was he had so Lizinski wrong. on the stream, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of memeing here. This, If you don't know, this very... Uh, popular twitch streamer hasanabi uh said in no uh, unclear terms on certain terms yeah that russia would not invade ukraine and then of course they have done that they're currently doing that as we record and um that was a very kane like moment where kane also got world war ii pretty wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I was thinking throughout this, and (laughs) I don't feel proud of this, but I was thinking throughout this, like, ah, man, um, Charles Foster Kane would love YouTube. (laughs) Like (laughs) the idea that he could build his own, like, you know, media empire, like in his basement, I think is something that very clearly, I think would appeal to someone like that. Absolutely. And I mean, the, I mean, that's just another thing that echoes from this film is just the heavily biased news yes. that we exi- like that environment that we exist in today. It, it was not literally invented by Kane, but it was invented in this era. And it was a, right. part, a huge part Yellow of this journalism. film. That's right. Exactly. And um, I mean, yeah, you could say that with so many different people. Um, you know, Hassan is one of them. And another one, <laughs> uh, well, actually, and you could just go on Rupert Murdoch. People have called him the modern day Citizen Kane sure. or Charles yeah. Kane. Well, like, I'm going off of that, right? The, the This movie takes for granted that the news is all spin. There isn't some other publication that's like, we're spin free. We're, we're not fake news, you know? And even Kane doesn't really make that argument for his own papers. Instead, he promises that he, Kane, will be honest but he doesn't remove himself from the equation. I think that's a little different than how like the news is delivered today where there's like this faceless organization. It's like the New York Times is very infallible, but individual po- reporters at the New York Times may be fallible, right? I see. They, you know what I mean? They're kind of hiding behind that. But I mean, again, you don't really know what Rupert Mur- Murdoch thinks about anything specifically, you know? You just have an idea that he's out there with conservative views, but you don't really know how he feels about any given issue because he's his opinion is not the thing that he is pushing, right? He's right. Uh, or at least not explicitly. So um, that like that kind of separates Kane from this, but it also kind of I guess it depends what level of involvement you like to attribute to the people who own these different media. Well, yeah, I've, like, I think they have a huge influence, things. but you yeah. but they're hiding behind that, right? They're they're claiming that what they are doing is news. And I think, um, I think Kane. I keep wanting to call him Orson Welles. Kane wants to do the same <laughs> thing, but um, you know he's he's also obsessed with building his, this myth of him, of himself, and so doesn't separate himself from the newspaper. And what that does is sort of introduce this bias, right? But also kind of just he says, well, that's how all news is, right? 
the news is written by whoever's writing the newspaper and whatever they think is the news. So, uh, you know, let's just get over this idea that uh, the news is (laughs) what's really going on, basically. (laughs) It seems like the message that the movie is kind of implicitly stating. Sure, and maybe that was the collective thought before. Maybe it, like in the time this I mean, movie came out, maybe it wasn't. I'm certainly, yeah. Sure, and but it's certainly the the case today. Um, and and maybe it's not with that. It's not always with that individual at the top who's saying this is my opinion. But right. it definitely also sometimes is uh, with people getting their news from uh, you know. Well, certainly uh, in Hassan's with has yeah it was certainly yeah. in Hassan's case right or, or Infowars or anything any sort of political commentary where they're not actually doing any reporting right they're just talking about the news they're the way they present it and their own biases factor in so much um, into how you the consumer like receive that information yeah and um, yeah I mean that just that's why this movie feels so relevant and it probably hasn't stopped feeling relevant right um since it came out then another example of this kind of echoes of Kane through uh, like modern day is he promises that his first act as governor will be to appoint a prosecutor to arrest Jim Gettys who is the current liter- governor right which is literally what Trump said about Hillary yeah like, this is <laughs> the like the whole lock her up thing that's like a sign of like uh, demagoguery or, or fascism is that you'll you'll jail your political opponents yeah um, that's like you know, one of the one of the check checklist or something. So yeah, right. I, I think that's a very, I think it's on the nose actually. Um, right, and and obviously, I'm not making the um implication that this movie did it because they're like Trump is going to do this one day, <laughs> right? It's not like as a result or a right. reference, but it's no, interesting it's, to it's see something that, that hasn't gone out of style. Certainly, <laughs> yes, exactly. And then um, it, it like going along with that, when Kane loses the election, they show them not going with the Kane elected headline and instead going with fraud at the polls. Oh my gosh. I bet that used to be funny. <laughs> right? And um and it's interesting because I like this was on the Wikipedia for Citizen Kane, but Citizen Kane is reportedly one of Donald Trump's favorite films. Really? And his biographer Tim O'Brien I thought they were called films. <laughs> All right. Uh, and his biographer, Tim O'Brien, has said that Trump is fascinated by and identifies with Kane, which I think it checks out. Like, that feels true. And I wouldn't even be surprised if he was like, that's, that's like, even, obviously I'll that's do it. That's even Kane weirder did. given the, like, like, what Kane is based off of real life. That's, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because Kane, yeah. Kane like, is supposed to be a caricature. So like Kane's gotten divorced multiple times. So it's Trump, you know, like there's, I don't know. You could, you could draw a lot. No, there's of a lot of lines there. Yeah. <laughs> I just wouldn't willingly make that comparison <laughs> if I was Trump. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, I'm, I can't know what Trump said at the end of watching Susan Kane, but it'd be funny if he but identified if he stood up and clapped. I need to get myself one of those sleds. Those are one of the best sleds I've ever seen. No, he's like, this is bullshit. Why did his wife leave? <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so I thought that was really interesting. I mean, obviously, this movie already is drawing from real life in, um, in a lot of ways. And it's just interesting to see that continue, to see real life almost draw from Citizen Kane. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I'm ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs. What about okay. you? Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, so at the very beginning of the movie, during the newsreel portion, um, they have a bunch of newspapers 
um, like flashed across the, across the screen. So I spent the time on HBO Max's terrible app to pause and unpause so I could actually read these newspapers. And here's what I found. So the first one um, says, Charles Foster Kane dies after a lifetime of service. And that is from the New York Daily Inquirer. It's the very first one you see, which is appropriate because that is Kane's signature newspaper. Right. Then there's C.F. Kane dies at Xanadu Estate from the Daily Chronicle, which was the Inquirer's longtime news rival. Um, and then under that, there's a subtitle that says, Death of Publisher Finds Few Who Will Mourn Him. Um, and then in parentheses, always thought only of himself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty good. Next one was uh, Death Calls Publisher Charles Kane from the Chicago Globe. Um, and under that, it said, Stormy Career Ends for U.S. Fascist Number One. Um, and then under that, there's a little uh, section that I, I was able to piece together. It said, New York, Charles Foster Kane, the man who loved power so much he was willing to barter everything for it, died last night in his Xanadu estate. The publisher of the New York Inquirer and many other important publications has lived long enough to see his dreams of world power crash about him. And even though he retained his wealth, his prestige has, I uh, wasn't able to make up this word, mostly to the vanishing point. Uh, receded, I guess, mostly to the vanishing point. Then, uh, so yeah, that, not, very, um, not very charitable there, you would say. Right. Um, next one is uh, Kane, sponsor of democracy, dies from the Minneapolis Record Herald. Publisher gave life to Nat Nation's service during long career. New York, Charles Foster Kane, world's greatest publisher, died last night in his uh, Xanadu estate. Uh, for months past, doctors had despaired of restoring him to his A4 time vigor as the end was not unexpected. So that one is a little bit more uh, you know, charitable, you might say. Way more charitable. Yeah. Uh, news of Mr. Kane's death brought thousands of blank. Uh, the uh, great news empire, which Mr. Kane founded, will continue. Um, and then there's one from the Detroit Star that says, Kane, leader of news world, called by death at Xandu. I really like that phrasing, called by death. That's <laughs> wish we still said that. Um, end comes from Charles Foster Kane. Uh, editor who investigated war for profit is beaten to death. Loss of friends, wives, and prestige. Um, believed to have hastened end of editor who built great news empire. New York. Charles Foster Kane, who built a great news empire and then uh, wretched it, uh, died last night at his Xandu estate. Fascist and warmonger might well be applied to his career, which, while spectacular, was tinged by many betrayals of something, uh, both as it affected his public and private life. Among his newspapers was his group of inquirers, which spread like a spider web across the continent. Perhaps the most salacious of these was his New York sheet, which he wielded mercilessly in his effort to acquire power. So there you go. Wow. All these, uh, some of these papers, uh, clearly Mr. Kane owns, and some of them uh, were a lot less charitable to his uh, sensibilities. And Very all of them were shown for mere moments before yes. being whipped out of the frame to reveal another one beneath it. That's right. So just an example of the level, level of detail that this movie uh, yes. will, you know, strives for. There are other uh, newspapers as well in different languages, but I was not able to uh, read them because I am illiterate. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I couldn't read them either, except for El Señor uh, El Señor Kane se murió. Yes, uh, which that was is good. in Spanish. Do uh, uh, do all Spanish newspapers have um, exclamation points <laughs> in their um, titles? Because none of the, none of the uh, English ones did. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I actually don't read Spanish newspapers very often, oh, but okay. if anybody's curious, El Señor Kane se murió means the Mr. Kane died. 
died. Oh. <laughs> did not so. did not get that. Um, okay, so I, I have kind of an interesting proposition. I was listening to a podcast called The Big Picture, um, and they talked about this movie and about Orson Welles. There's a bunch of people on there that was Orson Welles experts. And they made this statement I thought was interesting. They asked, is this even a Hollywood film? So what's so what's interesting about the making of this movie is that Orson Welles was pretty famous up to this point, but he was only like 25, 26 when he made um, this movie. He was pretty prominent in Broadway. He had written a bunch of screenplays and he had, um, in 1938, that's when he went on the radio and uh, using his actors from the Mercury Theater, recreated War of the Worlds for the world to uh, then uh, which created a huge moral panic. One of the most famous events in radio history um, was uh, was only a three years before this movie came out. Um, icon, an absolute yes. icon in radio. Definitely. So he um, he had his troupe of uh, uh, Mercury Theater uh, radio like people, and like he was also prominent in Broadway and all this stuff. He was already a prominent figure, and so people started approaching him, asking him if he wanted to make a film. And the only, he said no to everyone except for one which was RKO um, uh, Pictures or whatever, the studio, RKO, they gave him essentially a blank check. They said, you can do anything you want. You can hire whoever you want and you get final cut privileges, meaning that even, meaning that the only version of the movie that the studio got to see was one that Kane had specifically approved. And that even Wells the, had... Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Wells had specifically approved. And even, if, even after the studio gave him notes, he had the option not to take them, which is something that's basically un- unheard of even today, um, even when there's like all these independent movies. So this was a... A lot of the, the actors and stuff had never been in a movie before. Wells, this is his first movie directing and acting in... Um, even the makeup artist, which I'll talk about in a little bit, wasn't a member of the official union, one of, a member of one of the Hollywood guilds. So um, this was made completely outside of Hollywood, essentially, but using Hollywood mo- like money, um, RKO's uh, funding. And uh, he came in and made this movie, um, which sort of makes it one of the most, ind- most uh, independent movies, but also one of the most successful independent movies ever made. And, you know, one of the guys on the the podcast, the big picture, uh, they said, you know, there's a trade-off here, right? On one hand, he got to make the movie exactly the way he wanted it to, right? Without any of this Hollywood bureaucracy. But on the other hand, he had to face enormous backlash after the movie came out. Um, so, like, because he didn't go through the the proper approval process, he was um, kind of subject to a lot more scrutiny from um, other you know, powerful players in America at the time, um, which which is you know a very interesting argument. Um, so that's uh, it, it's it's interesting that he was able to do all of this, that he was able to make this thing just the way he wanted, and that it became one of the most iconic movies ever made. And yet Hollywood had very little influence on the way it was made. Um, which yeah, I don't know what to make of that really. You know, because it's like on one hand, it's like oh, should we? give more autonomy to these, you know, writers, directors, um, you know, should they have more ability to do more? Um, or, you know, is it better to have some sort of like studio influence, right? Does that uh, help, you know, um, solidify movies in the terms of history? 
I don't know. Generally, I tend to side with the writers and directors in, in the sense that it's their vision and they're almost having to go through the studio, push against the right. studio who's looking out for the bottom dollar. They're looking out for their, or sorry, for their bottom line. But at the same time, there's so many moving parts in a movie and it, it seems like if you can put together a team that's all good at their tasks, that's what can be great. Right. Um, so... This movie kind of stands out, right, from this era, right? I mean, it's probably the most famous movie, like, probably besides Wizard of Oz, um, within, like, you know, 30 years of it, right? Um, it's something that people are still talking about and watching today. I mean, that podcast I listened to was from a couple of years ago. They, you know, this is still, this is still an influential and important film, right? Um, but there's been plenty of other movies that, kind of that also fit into like greatest of all time or or you know one of the most influential movies of all time and you know those ones aren't necessarily independent movies right um right, lots right. of them are from hollywood so it's i don't know is it a, is it a signifier that this is a um this is how like these sort of this sort of medium should be created or is it an exception um right I don't know. It's it's an interesting question, but I don't know if we have enough evidence to say one way or the other. <laughs> no, but what not. I will what I will say is that it is a Herculean task to do all these things, especially when it's your first try, and to see the quality that came out, it's just unbelievable. Well, I can't. You, I mean, yes. Well, if you ask Wells about it, this is what he said. So, however, Wells stated that his love for cinema began only when he started working on the film. When asked where he got the confidence as a first-time director to direct a film so radically different from contemporary cinema, he responded, ignorance, ignorance, sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. It's only when you know something about a profession, I think, that you're timid or careful. Which is <laughs> very uh, Charles Foster Kane of him <laughs> to say. Like, very, <laughs> you know, what, like... What a audacious thing for him to say, um, to, to think that he's like, oh, I, I can just do it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I don't need any help or, or any sort of training or anything. Like, in fact, like learning about things, that's the sucker's game. Like, uh, you got <laughs> you to just do it. I, so. I, okay, that's one way to read it. I read it more as he was trying his best, and in retrospect, after learning more about cinema, he's like, "Oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> like, I can't believe I did all this stuff. Like, I needed to be, you know, like more timid and careful. Or, you know, in retrospect, I would have been, but I just didn't know to be that. Yeah, you know, like it's just like it's almost like, for lack of better words, beginner's luck. Yes, and you're like, oops, I made an instant classic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly which i just think is awesome i it's um again it's another aspect that makes citizen kane cool is it's like oh yeah it's directed by the guy who is in, who's the main character and also it's his first time doing either of those things. <laughs> right and and he does them both amazingly right no it's it's something else it's hard to even comprehend exactly what that what that looks like i mean he clearly orson welles clearly has some incredible talent for entertainment Right. Um, so some you know a sense about what how to make something good um, that I think transcends the time really. Um, one other thing I want to a couple other things I want to point out. One other thing is uh, Maurice Cederman, uh, who was the makeup artist for this movie. Um, uh, he was a junior member of the RKO makeup department, but he was not part of the official guild. 
Um, the major studios gave screen credit for makeup only to the department head. When uh, RKO makeup department head Mel Burns refused to share credit with Cedarman, who was only an apprentice, Wells told Burns there would be no makeup credit. Wells signed a large advertisement in the Los Angeles newspaper. Thanks to everybody, and this is what they said, thanks to everybody who, got, who gets screen credit for Citizen Kane and thanks to those who don't. To all the actors, the crew, the office, the musicians, everybody, and particularly to Maurice Cedarman, the best makeup man in the world. Wow. Yeah. For, uh, pretty cool, actually. So, um, and, and they, all these people, like there's like, editors and you know, um, cinematographers. All these people ended up becoming cinema legends of their of their own right. There's a lot of talented people that worked on this movie, um, even though um, you know it was kind of Orson Welles's uh, like uh, vision, essentially. But even well, that wasn't really true because there's actually another guy, Mankiewicz, who wrote the script and then Kane like adapted it, essentially. Wells. Right. adapted it sorry wells <laughs> it's really hard to separate the two that's wells, so funny wells uh adapted it essentially and and made it into his own thing right he basically kind of rewrote the whole script himself but it was mankiewicz who kind of came up with the central ideas and stuff um and actually there was a movie that came out recently by david fincher called mank which is about the uh like the argument or kind of the legal um trouble that the two of them went through where Makowitz originally said he didn't want credit and then changed his mind and said he did want credit um, and then um, they had like a whole falling out about who actually wrote Citizen Kane one last thing uh, just kind of give you a little more context about how this movie is well regarded Roger Ebert who is one of like uh, most famous movie critics someone that I look up to uh, called uh, Citizen Kane the greatest film ever made quote but people don't always ask about the greatest film they ask what's your favorite movie again I always answer with Citizen Kane unquote so that's uh, pretty cool that is <laughs> I yeah I mean I don't know like for me personally I don't know if I would recommend this to people you know I'm like, oh, Citizen Kane, you know, maybe you should watch it. It's an interesting, important movie. Um, but I don't know if it, like, it falls into the category of, like, oh, I, I should recommend this to people to watch. I, like, I don't know, like, if, it, if it's that important to me or if, like, other people, like, you know, casuals, I guess, <laughs> would really like it at all, right? I think it's hard to get over the fact that it was made from a completely different era. I don't know. What do you think? I think after having seen it, I would tell other people that I think it's it it holds up to its reputation yes. as being an important piece of cinema. I agree with I that. I do think that recommending films is tough because you have to um, think about who your audience is. Uh, because, yeah, some I, I do think it's possible there are people who watch this movie and they're like, boring, where's the color, first of all? Right. And second of all, why is it basically only men? Why is, and, there, spi- you know, why is there Spider-Man in this movie? Exactly. So I think it's it's always tough to be able to say I'm going to recommend this to everybody, and a movie that's supposedly the greatest movie ever should be recommendable to everyone, right? So I'm not sure. I think that I will say that this is high praise, and I won't hold it against Robert Ebert to have this opinion. Um, but I think also it's fine to not hold this opinion for Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, certainly, but I don't know. I I when I'm thinking about the greatest movie or my favorite movie, right? Either of those things. I'm thinking of a movie that I can recommend to most people and that they'll enjoy, right? And I don't know if Citizen Kane falls into that category for me. There's certainly a lot of things that I like about it, um, but I don't. But like you said, like you have to think about your audience and you have to think about other things. 
about like the context in which you're recommending the movie, right? But it's also, I, I don't know, I, I feel like there's other movies that I really enjoy that I feel like are access, more accessible um, to people I may be recommending movies to. Yeah, maybe I if guess I was it, recommending it to someone <laughs> and I was in the 1940s, maybe I would say that. Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I see what you mean. Like you're you're asking if it's still relevant today to say you should watch this movie as opposed to some other great movie that's come out more recently. Yes, that is, is a better way of more relevant. And and I would say that this movie is still surprisingly relevant. And um, I, I still think that there, I would recommend seeing this movie if you've never seen it before. Um, but at the, you can also ab- go one level of abstraction further and say, is this even a question worth asking? Would you recommend this movie, right? Because it all comes down to who you're recommending it to. That's and true. I think there's a lot of people that I would recommend this movie to and a lot of people I wouldn't, which you could say about any movie. There you go. So, <laughs> Except right. for maybe uh, Flock of Dudes. then there's flock of dudes right which (laughs) breaks that rule completely um all right joey i think you know what time it is it is time for us to go a little deeper so we've already kind of gone in a lot of different directions this movie but there's one more important aspect to touch on if you really want to understand citizen kane and that is that this movie is based around real people there are several different influences um uh orson wells i almost said kane again orson wells said that um many different people sat for this role but he means that you know tongue-in-cheek these people didn't sit for the role to be it they just meant like uh lots of different people were kind of uh brought in or the, the idea of these people were brought in to become charles foster kane uh some of these people are william randolph hearst uh joseph pulitzer and alfred charles william hamsworth who are all media tycoons, newspaper moguls. Um, and then there's also uh, Samuel Insull and Harold Fowler McCormick, who are both uh, like uh, famous and influential American businessmen at the time. Um, so those, pe- those two sort of influenced Cain uh, later in life, and then the other three influenced Cain uh, um, earlier in life. And when I was researching this, I found that they like I saw that he's based Kane is based largely off Kane's of based. William Randolph Hearst. Kane is yeah. If you get nothing out of that sentence, I'm saying that Kane is based. No, um, he's based largely off of William Randolph Hearst. And I did some research, and I'm glad that I dug deeper into this particular guy because it's wild. Oh yeah, how he's, much he's like he's Kane. something, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I, honestly, I didn't know much. I'd heard the name William Randolph Hearst before, probably in history class, but I don't really remember much about him. But I did a little bit of research. And first of all, um, Hearst got into journalism when he was given control of the San Francisco Examiner by his wealthy father. So kind of similar where you kind of just get to be the owner of a newspaper without really having to work your way up, right? Citizen Kane is probably a much different movie if journalist Kane eventually works his way up the ladder and then becomes Becomes the the owner of the Inquirer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was an interesting similarity that he just kind of acquired it. And he later acquired other newspapers like the New York Journal, which led him to go head to head with Joseph Pulitzer's New York World. So that kind of is the same thing as like the Inquirer versus the uh, Chronicle. What was it? The Hair, the Chronicle. Um, yeah, the other New York newspaper that they were battling against. And then um, 
Hearst also had a lot of editorial control over his publications, and he was famous for flamboyant yellow journalism that emphasized sensationalism. Yep. Uh, he and he yellow also journalism. Publi- if anyone doesn't know, is basically clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> it's um yeah it's 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 more about yeah sensationalism and uh like big headlines that maybe don't tell the the whole truth right and yeah which is basically clickbait and um but yeah so hearst also published his personal views in the newspaper just like kane um he also unsuccessfully ran for president and mayor of new york city uh, in that order actually and then uh as a as a politician, he was uh, very left-wing and claimed to speak on behalf of the working class. So all of that is like almost just like exactly what happens in the movie uh, to a certain degree. And then later on, his his politics are a little bit more of a mixed bag after that. Um, like he helped to get FDR elected, but then he became one of FDR's biggest critics after that and like opposing some of the stuff that he did. And then also the Great Depression destroyed him with uh, him having to liquidate mo- like many of his assets, but still retaining influence over his newspapers uh, d- despite that. What do they and say then, in um, uh, The Dark Knight Rises? Even the rich don't go poor like the rest of us or something like that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh no, now I only own three newspapers, That's right? right. Right. <laughs> and um and then like to really cap it off he even built hearst castle which is satirized in this film with the extravagant xanadu so um and then it's it's kind of interesting that upon the release of citizen kane uh hearst it was so aware of himself being in this film that he prohibited the film from being mentioned in his newspapers which is insane to think about and it actually it goes pretty far so um, to, to add into this, there, um, Marion Davies, who was rumored to be Hearst's mistress, um, uh, this, uh, she, the, basically the, the rumor or whatever was that uh, she was the Susan Alexander character, um, that they modeled okay. her after, after that. And I even found a source that said that uh, Hearst's nickname for her was Rosebud. Um, so like maybe that was a thing. But I don't know if that's actually true. Um, the other thing was that Wells denied this. He said that Marion Davies was a beautiful and wonderful performer and uh, the character of Susan Alexander didn't re- wasn't representing her at all. And she said that she actually, uh, Susan Alexander was actually modeled after Insull, who built a opera house and McCormick uh, because he promoted his second wife's opera career. <laughs> wow. Right. <laughs> so when uh hearing about citizen kane enraged Hearst so much that he didn't actually ever see the movie I, as far as i know he he had a um one of his film reviewers or something go and see it and then report back to him and she was like oh this is about you <laughs> this is bad um <laughs> and he was so mad about it that he banned any advertising reviewing or mentioning it in any of his papers and he had his journalist libel wells Wells used Hearst's opposition as a pretext for previewing the film in several opinion-making screenings in Los Angeles, lobbying for its artistic worth against the hostile campaign that Hearst was waging. Again, uh, can you even think of anything more contemporary than using outrage to promote yourself? And in it's fact, more of it's more of this like newspaper publishing like real life. It's like his citizen Wells, like yes. he's out here battling with the newspaper. Oh, you know, that's certainly life. true. And I think that's 
like I, it's funny that I keep conflating Wells and Kane because I think this movie is very much about Wells as well. <laughs> to say it yeah. like that. No, like, yeah. it's very much about he's a media influence. You know, he has a he has a big presence in the American life. His opinions certainly uh hold sway over the American public. There's no way that Kane isn't also based somewhat on Wells. And in fact, some of uh, like Jedediah uh, or Leland, he's uh he's that character is based off of someone that Wells knew, one of Wells's uh, good friends growing up. So, yeah, all of that is um, is definitely tied into it. So, actually, Hearst went to this length. He uh, Wells was like out on a press tour or something like that, and he he was approached by a policeman who said, "By the way, a 14 year old girl has been hidden in your closet of your hotel room, and two photographers are in wait, waiting for you to walk in, so that we can say that you're having like." you know you're you're a pedophile that you're uh, uh oh having sex gosh. with young girls and so he avoids that right he he gets warned by this police officer and, uh, and avoids uh, that situation and actually wells and hearst met on an elevator the day that citizen kane opened in san francisco um wells introduced himself and asked hearst if he would like to come see the opening hearst did not respond as he was getting off uh his floor um uh kane uh, or not kane sorry wells said quote charles foster kane would have accepted no reply recalled wells uh unquote and, and kane oh, and then open quote again and kane would have you know that was his style just as he finished uh, jed leland's bad review of susan as an opera singer so yeah um it's funny because like i see this again as wells like being like this is a great movie by the way like you should just you should just come see it like, remember all these cool moments i have that are not really about you right like <laughs> including this moment where like he's uh you know we're doing all this stuff but um uh, one more thing that i think is very interesting is that charles foster kane is sort of a sympathetic character i absolutely he i think that he's portrayed very humanely throughout this movie uh, consider like vice you know where uh, like that movie is so is so intent on showing Dick Cheney as a bad person, right? There's basically no quarter given um, toward him being anything other than, um, you know, like like one of the most uh, despicable politicians that has ever been in uh, held that office. Um, where this movie is supposedly a hit piece about a famous person, but it's actually like very. Um, complex it shows kane as a flawed person but also as a person that you might still feel bad for and still may like you know he certainly has good qualities as well um so it's it's again like i guess funny that like we've gotten to this point where like uh you know, like the like the gloves are completely off right and like 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 uh you know mud slinging back in the 1940s was way more um <laughs> cordial maybe uh, <laughs> than it is today i don't know i think that's really funny yeah no it's really cool and i think that's such an important thing to drive home is that it's not supposed to be uh, a hearst hit piece film just be like here's all the things that's wrong with him or even these other famous people that, that he was inspired by it's first off to draw inspiration from but also just to like point out the complexity of a person yes and um yeah, I think that's really cool. I think it's ironic too that it survived for this long and is again credited as being one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, can you imagine Hearst hearing that? You know, 
It's like <laughs> this movie that's about me is like, oh, like this guy made like is like one of the best of all time. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, uh. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's ironic that like it wasn't it was very much made for its time. Right. About specific contemporary people. And yet it survived to today and still has this you know, massive reputation um, despite that. It's great. I'm glad we watched it. And um, I'm glad we talked about it. And as we do at the end of ep- every episode of Apple Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to Citizen Kane? I give it a hallway of mirrors stretching to infinity. Very cool. That that was also a uh, deep focus shot. You yeah. can see all the different canes. Really so cool. Clearly. Like that they were able to set that up the way they did. And like the, all the mirrors are so clear, right? And it, it literally looks like a bunch of him walking out, like right behind each other. That's awesome. It's a, the multitudes I, of Kane. Iconic scene, right? But also alone. And yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all right. So I, I'll give my rating now. I give this movie a big headline in the New York Inquirer that says Citizen Kane wows podcasters immortality assured for orson wells Ah, amazing (laughs) print it yeah send it to print that's right (laughs) um all right that's going to wrap it up for this episode um joey what's next on affable chat well next we're doing a movie that i'm sure is gonna be a lot of fun um we're gonna do palm springs this movie i think will be uh very interesting to talk about what do you think benjamin I think I've been anticipating talking about Palm Springs uh, for a long time, and yep, we may or may not have a guest, which I'm excited for. That's right. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what's coming up next on Affable Chat, but for now, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where there are YouTube videos. And Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joe. Thanks for listening.